Oh, he's slicing up a little straw. <gasps> he's making cocktails. Oh, my bowing <laughs> He's making a teeny martini. <laughs> it's so cute. If you're anything like my producer, Molly, who loves cooking shows and also loves watching people make miniature versions of food online, then you might be one of the 600,000 plus followers of The Tiny Chef on Instagram. The Tiny Chef's account is mostly stop motion style videos of a tiny green felt character known as, you guessed it, Tiny Chef. And as he bakes tiny apple pies and bottle caps, miniature artisanal breads, tiny pizzas. He's even opened up the smallest lemonade stand. Followers just can't get enough of his small stature and even smaller culinary delights. The Tiny Chef's growing fandom is just one example of how much people love little things. We obsess over the charm of tiny things and their overall cuteness. And there might be a psychological reason for this. The anthropologist Cloud Levi Strauss theorize that because we can see and comprehend tiny things in their entirety, they don't threaten us, and that makes us feel powerful. I mean, that's one explanation, but I also wonder if our love of all things small might have to do with our innate nurturing abilities as humans. And maybe we actually feel protective over tiny things. Oh, this one's about meditation. This is, oh my god, he's surrounded with like teeny tiny miniature plants. They look like succulents, but they're, they're his size. They're, they're tiny chef size. I'm supposed to be breathing with him. It's so cute. It would also explain why we love tiny plants. This year, the LA Times identified tiny plants as one of the biggest plant trends for 2021. That's right, there's an entire genre just for petite plants, from teensy-weensy cacti, which I don't think are the scientific name, to dwarf fruit trees. But why is this the first I've heard of these little bitty topiaries, and why is everyone catching on to them now? And more importantly, are tiny plants just a passing fad, or a plant movement with roots? I think it's time we found out. Hey there, I'm Mangesh Atikadur, co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at miracle Grow. Our goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. Along the way, we'll share inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plant addiction, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. On this episode, we are getting small and exploring the tiny plants and miniature trees that are taking the world by stem. I want to learn how tiny plants have elbowed their much bigger brothers out of the way to capture the spotlight. And also, does this tiny plant obsession overlap with our love of tiny houses? Plus, we'll hear from one of our favorite green thumb comedians, Angela Johnson Reyes, and talk to her about how Instagram is feeding her plant passion. And I'm going to get her thoughts on the tiny plant movement, too. Stick with me. This is going to be fun.
chapter 13, Big Dreams and Tinier Plants. We spent so much of the last year inside our homes, homes of all shapes and sizes. And as we saw the resurgence of victory gardens at the start of the pandemic, houseplants have also seen this noticeable uptick in popularity. They've provided the millions of homebound folks, people like me, with this much-needed source of comfort and therapy. And living in a city surrounded by people who've been stuck in their apartments, I'm acutely aware of the limited space many of us have for our plants. Which might also be why so many new plant parents have found themselves attracted to tiny plants. To learn more about this growing part of the plant community, I wanted to chat with Leslie Halleck. In addition to literally writing the book on tiny plants, Leslie is a self-proclaimed plant geek, and she's dedicated nearly 30 years of her career to working with various areas of horticulture, from scientific research to landscaping and green industry marketing. So of course I had to call her up. Hey, Leslie, are you there? I am here. Hi. Hi. It's so nice to be chatting with you. I know. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm so enchanted by your story. I want to hear a little bit about how you fell in love with tiny plants. You're speaking to my heart because I'm obsessed with all things tiny, tiny plants, <laughs> tiny chihuahuas, tiny everything. I sort of have a little bit of a an obsession with that. And as a professional horticulturist, you know, I've gone through many phases of plant obsessions, but I always come back to teeny tiny plants. My tiny plant obsession probably hit me back in the mid-90s, back in the day when I was doing field research work in Puerto Rico, in the El Yunque National Rainforest uh, in the Laquil region of Puerto Rico. I was living up at a research station up in the mountains and going out every day taking data on um, research that had to do with Hurricane Hugo that had come through and completely defoliated the rainforest. So I was there, you know, geeking out, taking plant data. And one day I just happened out of the corner of my eye to catch this little tiny blip of sort of a pinkish red color. And, you know, you're always on the look for lookout for orchids in that situation. And sure enough, I discovered this itty bitty tiny species of Lepanthes orchids growing on rocks. And the flowers are only a couple of millimeters in size. And I just absolutely fell in love. And after that, I began building vivariums and terrariums and keeping poison dart frogs and all sorts of other critters <laughs> that require you, teeny tiny animals, teeny tiny frogs that require you to build the, you know, habitats that include species that are conducive to their, their life and their breeding. So I just kind of got into all things tiny and have sort of obsessively collected and grown teeny tiny plants ever since. That is so great. So tell me about your book. Why did you decide to write about tiny plants? And please say the full title because it is really charming. Oh, yes. Uh, tiny plants uh, discover the joys of growing and collecting itty bitty houseplants is <laughs> <laughs> the full long name. When publishers come to you and they want you to write about something, you want to write about something that you're passionate about that you can inspire other people to do. And, you know, after writing Gardening Under Lights, um, which was a little more technical, and then Plant Parenting, which is very technique-based, I wanted to do something a little more fun. <laughs> and <laughs> finally, I convinced them to let me do Tiny Plants because I just thought, you know, it seemed like the right moment with indoor plants becoming so popular. I just wanted to give people a window into a type of plant collecting they may not have experienced yeah, completely. And so what are some of your favorite types of tiny plants? 
you know, plants come and go in terms of their popularity, right? And mm. sometimes they're they're really popular and highly available, and then they cycle back out. So those types of availabilities come in waves. But teeny tiny begonias, so I grow a lot of begonias. There are some really cool micro aeroids that related to a lot of the larger aeroids we grow, like philodendron. So there's some really tiny philodendrons that are really cool. Huh. I really love little micro sundews. They're little tiny, tiny carnivorous plants, and you'll find those right, right. Book, tiny yeah. plants, which are just fascinating. They're, again, the size of about the tip of your fingertip. Uh-huh. I'm obsessed with many different species of tiny plants. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the tiny plant movement grow during this last period? And, and what do you think the enthusiasm for it is based in. Yeah, I have seen it grow partially because I've just been forcing it on everybody. <laughs> I, I love it. And I just do you, do you gift them? Do you do gift tiny plants to people? I do. Uh-huh. I do. I do gift tiny plants. And that's another great thing about tiny plants is that they're easy to gift. <laughs> you know, they're easy. Uh-huh. You know, they don't take up a lot of space and you can propagate them and they're easy to gift. Um, but I have seen, we'll call it sort of miniature gardening across the board. And I am not talking about fairy gardening. So put fairy gardening uh-huh. aside. Right, what right. I'm talking about is scale. So What's been great is that in the last few years, there are a lot of new dwarf vegetable and fruit varieties that have come out on the market huh. uh, and, and a lot of smaller plant species for houseplant culture. People who live in smaller spaces, smaller apartments, don't have a yard. Dwarf edibles are fantastic. Also, if you're growing edibles inside, I think tiny plants offer up a, a really great solution. So small scale across the board, miniature gardening, tiny indoor plants, I think is a really helpful way to keep indulging in your gardening habit without running out of space. And it also takes less resources too. So how does the care for a tiny plant differ from that of a regular plant? Some things are going to be very much the same and other things will be a little bit different. A lot of teeny tiny plants may be hemiepiphytic or semi-epiphytic and may require higher humidity. So growing under glass, you know, may be something that you do more often with some of the very tiny plant species than you would like the bigger aeroids. But that's easy to do because you don't need much space and you don't need a big container to do that. Um, They can also be a little more sensitive to water quality and over fertilizing. Mm. So you have to be a little bit more careful. I tend to use most uh, rainwater or RO water exclusively, like on my micro orchids and my syningias, some of the more sensitive plants. And you have to be really careful on fertilizers. So I usually cut fertilizer down to maybe a quarter or even less of the recommended application rate because you can easily burn, you know, tiny plants if you're not careful with your fertilizer. Mm. So, you know, all things um, in scale, right? So with tinier plants, you may go tinier, you know, tinier with your containers, tinier with your fertilizer. So there are some things that you have to be a little bit more careful with. Conversely, when you're growing tiny plants under glass, they can become very low maintenance. You hardly ever have to water them. So, you know, there's some things that are a little trickier and some things that are easier. That's amazing. So um, do you think tiny plants are a trend or do you think this is something that's here to stay? So, you know, things that were popular in the 60s and 70s are popular again now and those will fade away. And Right. It's going to happen again and again. Right. There are cycles that always happen. So I expect there to be a cycle to that. However, I think that the pandemic has really opened up the world of gardening and plant keeping in sort of an exponential way for people that I think as a hobby, it's much more here to stay than a cyclic trend, than just a straight up trend. I think people are going to keep gardening and plant keeping embedded in their lifestyle much more significantly 
than than in the past. And I think in terms of scale, growing small, growing tiny, I think, again, part of that is a matter of people being cooped up inside without necessarily a lot of outdoor space. So they need to be able to fit plants in whatever space they have. And that may not be a yard. That may be a windowsill. That may be a balcony. My definition of gardening is one plant in one pot. If you're doing that, you're gardening. You can be a gardener in lots of different ways. And I want to make sure that folks that live in small spaces or, you know, just are trying to bring some nature to their desk. Plants are such an important part of our health and wellness and, you know, mental happiness. Exactly. So we ask this question on our show a lot. Do you think caring for plants makes us happier or makes us better people? Plants make me really happy and I think they make everybody happy. (laughs) And I think (laughs) that right now we all really need to invest in our health and wellness. This past year has been really stressful for everybody. Gardening and plant keeping, it's an amazing stress reducer. I love observing the plants. I love observing how they change. I completely freak out when one of my microorchids blooms. If you hear me yell from across my house, like it's probably because something just flowered. (laughs) (laughs) I just get so excited. And, you know, I'm not a newbie. I've been doing this a long time. That enthusiasm has never waned for me. And there is always a new plant to discover. Here's the big secret about horticulture and gardening. Nobody knows everything. Nobody will ever know everything. We can call ourselves experts, but even as an expert myself, I learn every day. And that's a great way to keep your brain healthy, right? There's always something new to learn about the natural world and plants. And so I hope that my book, Tiny Plants, can bring a little joy and happiness into a plant parent's world and expose them to something new that they can learn today and as they move forward in their new hobby. Yeah, we're going to have to get your book and surround it with uh, (laughs) lots of tiny plants. And squee. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, Leslie. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for so, so much for having me. It was a joy. And now for another Poetry Corner. This poem is called Little Meal for Two. I carefully sliced up my dwarf fig for this tiny fruit plate for two. I plucked up all my baby corn and made this tiny stew. I placed it all on tiny plates and adorable healthy brunch. But once we've hugged and said goodbyes, I'm ordering food for lunch. Thank you. So I'm kind of getting why people love tiny plants, but I've got to say my first real fascination with tiny things probably started with tiny houses. We started writing about them years ago on a website I used to run, but it's incredible to see they are more than just a fad. According to the New York Times, some tiny house builders saw a 177% increase in sales in 2020. And it makes a ton of sense when you think about it. Tiny houses started as people wanting to decrease their carbon footprint. And now, with more city dwellers heading out of town, trading those concrete buildings for the wide open spaces of nature... 
the tiny home movement is alive and well. And while they seem unrelated except for their size, tiny plants and tiny houses have a lot more in common than meets the eye. I wanted to learn more about where that Venn diagram of tiny homes and plants overlap. So I called up Ethan and Jesse Waldman. Ethan is the founder and curator of the site, thetinyhouse.net, and his brother Jesse is the brand developer at Pistols Nursery in Portland, Oregon. The two recently collaborated on a piece for thetinyhouse.net about the best plants for tiny houses. And spoiler, the tiny mounted jungle cacti is definitely a favorite. Ethan, Jesse, are you there? Yeah. Hey, man, Gash. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's so nice to be chatting with both of you. I am so excited to talk about tiny homes and tiny plants and all of the tininess uh, to, to come. Ethan, tell me, I, I know you're an expert on tiny homes, and I'm curious, what is it about these tiny homes that really makes a difference for people? I mean, they have gotten so popular, and they've gone from, when I was doing it, if you said the word tiny house, you know, people kind of looked at you with with a blank stare. Mm. And now it's hard to find somebody that doesn't understand when you say tiny house, they have a very specific picture in their head of a house on a trailer because they've seen the various tiny house shows. Mm -hmm. You know, when I did this, I'm a millennial. I was graduating from college right around the time that 2008, 2009, the the stock market kind of crashed and people were losing their homes. And so I assumed that it was going to be a lot of millennials doing it. And now I see a huge number of people who are retiring, who are, you know, building or buying tiny houses as a way of actually being able to retire. Hmm. That's really interesting. And Jesse, what about you? Do you have a tiny house as well? I do not. I love visiting Ethan's though. It's it's amazing how well-designed his is, that it doesn't really feel tiny. It's quite comfortable. That's what's so appealing about them, right? Like, is that they're often so thoughtfully designed. I mean, to, to me, the other part of it is that it feels like particularly after this last year and people being quarantined and people stuck in their homes, having a small space in somewhere that's really beautiful really matters to people. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's something that because the house is small, it really turns the outside into your living room. Mm. You see the outside way more because you're always very close to a window and you also are going outside way more. And so do you see this as kind of a trend or more of a cultural shift? I think it's started as a trend and it's becoming a cultural shift. Mm. I think that it fits in really nicely with other things that you're seeing people really embrace like Marie Kondo and the idea of minimalism and owning less Mm. things. It fits in with the environmentalism Living in a smaller house and having a smaller footprint is definitely a piece of that puzzle. So I do think that it's it was a trend and now it's becoming part of the culture. Yeah, and I, I do think there is something to when you pare things down, you really value the things you have and take advantage of, right? And, and also how you're spending your time. So Jesse, before I ask you the same, let's take a step back. How do you define a tiny plant and how are they different from normal plants? I think that for me, a tiny plant probably would be one that you're not really going to have to worry about graduating past like a four inch pot. There are plants that maybe have shallow root systems. So, you know, you might buy a, a little plant that's in a small pot that has like little leaves that are like two inches long. But if you actually give it the growth, the growth kind of environmental conditions that it, it wants, for example, you might have it climb up a, they're called moss poles. Um, they kind of mimic plants that climb up trees and in, in nature. 
when they start climbing, there's actually like a physiological shift that happens when they, they can sense that they're climbing. And if they're getting that right light and they're getting that support, like boom, that two inch leaf, like the next leaf that comes out might be six inches and then 12 inches. And then like all of a sudden you have this massive tropical vine. You know, the plants that we're talking about, like the peperomias, the rhizomatous begonias, the little aloe, haworthia, some, some ferns, um, orchids, these are plants that are are not going to do that. They're not going to have any sort of like major physiological change between their juvenile form, like when they're first propagated or they're first growing from seed, and their mature forms. So I think that that's kind of the the main difference is just like what does the plant look like when it's a baby versus when it's an adult. So you two collaborated on this blog post helping tiny homeowners with the ideal tiny plants that can fit within their designs. Can you talk us through some of those tiny plants? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there are kind of a couple different approaches when thinking about fitting plants into, you know, a small space. Certainly a very reasonable one is to look for plants that are just small by nature. Another one thing to note is, you know, sometimes, and, and you probably won't know this when you go into the nursery, but some plants are actually sprayed with growth inhibitors that, that kind of keep them small. Huh. That is something that is not going to, you know, say that on the label. But if you do your research into the plant um, and, you know, look at the, what it looks like when it, you know, becomes a mature plant versus what you're seeing in the nursery, you might, you might be able to get a, a little cue as to whether or not that's happened. But yeah, so a couple great small plants, there's a couple different genuses that the plants just kind of stay small by nature. One is the Peperomia genus. I really love these plants. They, they Mm -hmm. kind of have like fleshy, semi-succulent sorts of leaves. A lot of them kind of have a creeping growth habit, or if they're growing upright, they just like form like a very kind of a small little bush almost. One that I really love is called Peperomia prostrata. It's, I would say, one of the trendiest plants right now, sometimes called string of turtles. Yeah. The little leaves, <laughs> they look like just like little tiny little beads and they kind of have like a little striping pattern on them, makes them look like little turtles. <laughs> there's a lot of string ofs right now in the plants where there's string of hearts, there's string of bananas, string of fish hooks, string of dolphins, string of pearls. Another genus that is really cool is the Tillandsia genus. Tillandsia are often referred to as air plants. They're called air plants because they actually don't grow in soil. Mm -hmm. These plants are super unique to water them. You actually soak them in a bowl of water Mm -hmm. because their root system is literally just exists to hold them onto whatever they're growing on in nature. They're just entirely free floating. So you can just like set them on a shelf, put them in a bowl, uh, stick them on a windowsill they're really unique. They're great in terrariums and they come in all different sizes and colors and they flower eventually. They're, they're quite cool. I, I think air plants are so incredible. How hard are they to maintain? You know, they kind of have a reputation for being really easy. You know, we hear a lot of people come into the nursery and say, oh, those are air plants. They just, all they need is air. That is not true. Um, <laughs> they definitely need water. I always kill mine, by the way. <laughs> they're honestly not, they're not the easiest in order to get them to, to really thrive. They, you know, they're getting the water for the air, so humidity is great. Mm-hmm. So they tend to thrive, um, you know, in a bathroom as long as it gets decent natural light. They do need a fair amount of natural light to to thrive. They don't want direct light as much as like, you know, they need to be soaked and watered. They also don't tolerate staying wet for too long. So what we like to tell people to do is after they're done soaking their air plant to, you know, literally invert it, put it upside down on a towel in a windowsill so it's going to fully dry out within an hour or two. I love that they seem so low maintenance and then they're actually pretty high maintenance plants. <laughs> Not unlike a tiny house. <laughs> so in, in terms of these tiny houses, have you seen people grow gardens outside of them? And do you feel like tiny homes create an opportunity for growing and harvesting your own food? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, tiny homes fit a little bit into the whole permaculture movement. I know a few people who really just have designed an entire system around their tiny house where, you know, they're they're harvesting the rainwater off the roof. A lot of tiny homes have compost toilets and then they're using that to grow plants. And it's, you know, just this big self-sustaining cycle. Not to say everybody's doing that, but that's definitely a small subset of, of the movement. And can you describe exactly what permaculture is for our listeners? I'm no pro. It's a design philosophy where you are thinking beyond just the needs of the plant to the needs of the garden, to the needs of your entire property. And you, you mm. try to design systems that serve multiple needs. So a classic example of a permaculture, you know, a fish tank full of tilapia that has, you know, that you can throw food scraps in and the tilapia eat the fish and then the poop from the tilapia fertilizes, makes this really great fertilizing water that you then feed into a garden. Like that, that's a kind of a permaculture system. That's really interesting to, to contemplate and like how, how many things you can build and, and see that like sort of feed all these systems is, is pretty great. What are some things that are easy to grow that can sort of help fill your tiny home with delicious, healthy foods? Yeah. I mean, it's all going to depend on your environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about growing outdoors, it's possible to grow certain edible things indoors. Herbs, for example, on a, on a sunny windowsill can do, can do pretty well. But really when you're talking about growing yourself food, you're going to be, you're going to want to be leveraging your outdoor space. So if you're in a permanent space, I think that, you know, it's incredible what you can grow in a small raised bed. I think that if you have the capacity to build a garden box, the benefit there is that you're filling that soil up and it's able to not get compacted the way it would, you know, just if you're kind of digging out a bed in the ground and then you're, you know, stepping around that Mm -hmm. soil compaction makes it really hard for the roots to grow deep and the deeper the roots and healthier the root systems. I think like one of the easiest things that can be grown in many, many different environments is just salad greens. Lettuces come up really fast. They don't need a ton of sun. In fact, they, they tend to bolt in the sun. Bolting just means they go to seed. And once a plant goes to seed, you're typically just done. One of my favorite things to grow is radishes. I think I've acquired a taste for radishes because of how fun they are to grow. <laughs> and then, you know, depending on 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 the light and your level of dedication, tomatoes are like the classic thing to grow because a homegrown tomato just tastes 10,000 times better than what you can get at the store. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing as far as like space goes, you know, you can grow a tomato in a five gallon bucket. Um, there are two different main types of tomato plants. There's determinate plants uh, and indeterminate plants. Indeterminate plants will just keep growing and growing and growing and growing forever. And they set fruit intermittently throughout their lives. Uh-huh. Whereas determinate plants uh, grow to a set size and then they set all their fruit all at once. So that's what people with limited space would want to look for is a determinate variety. How has COVID impacted the popularity or culture of both tiny homes and tiny plants? I'll say from the tiny home perspective, just out of control, bonkers interest. You know, there are a lot of people who are really suffering financially due mm. to the pandemic and the appeal of tiny house living as a way of, of saving money and a way of having housing stability. People see it and the, the governments and municipalities and, and cities are struggling, scrambling to, to change laws to make it legal because it's not always legal to live in a tiny house in most places. Mm. And I would, uh, I would concur, uh, crazy bonkers over the top interest, you know, not specifically in tiny plants, but in plants in general, I think that, you know, with COVID kind of, as I was alluding to earlier, people are spending more times in their home 
they mm. might be missing that morning commute to work that they walk through the park or just the other touch points in their lives where they're able to connect with nature and they want their homes to feel good. And, you know, plants, plants make a space feel good. You know, having plants around increase your productivity. They stabilize your mood. They actually make a space more comfortable by putting out humidity. Um, they dampen the sound in a space. So there's all sorts of ways, because kind of like above and below the surface, that having plants in your space can improve your quality of life. And so I think the kind of the bar for knowledge has gone way up. Like people come in mm. and they know so much these days. It's just pretty incredible how it's turned into like a real community and a movement. Yeah, it is always impressive to me to see the different communities that have come up and emerged on Instagram and formed around things like plants and also to see how specific those communities get. Do you think tiny plants are a part of that? And are they an Instagram trend or do you think they're here to stay? I think for me, like, I think that right now we're in a phase where people are discovering plants and they're discovering that they want to have them in their homes, right? There are different kind of personality types and different things that, you know, just naturally attract you. Some people want to get a toy poodle and other people's want to get a St. Bernard, right? Mm. I think that the same goes with plants. Like there's so much information out there these days and there's people are getting really deep. I think that that's kind of the, what I'm noticing as a trend more than say like a shift towards tiny plants, but it's just people getting like really into their kind of plant. Like there are peperomia people who want to have all the peperomias. People are just becoming passionate and the nursery industry is responding by diversifying and making these plants that were once super duper rare and hard to find, like putting energy into, you know, propagating them and having them available in greater quantity. And then, you know, it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. There's, you know, greater availability, greater knowledge, uh, community forming around it. So like people are just kind of, you know, finding what speaks to them, you know, for some that'll be tiny plants for sure. And I, I would say that I think that there's an initial attraction that maybe a tiny plant and a tiny house shares, which is just, there's a cute factor. Tiny houses are very popular on Instagram and Pinterest because they're just so visually appealing. You know, a lot of people might click on a tiny house, nine out of 10 of them may just be clicking on it to, to just see it. And then maybe one of those people will see it and say, oh, wow, this actually could be something that, that would be really great for me. And they get interested. And I think the same is probably true for houseplants. You know, you see a really beautiful plant on Instagram and you click on it, and some people just might look and then other people might say, you know, I, it's beautiful and I want to put it on my coffee table. And so I think there's, they share that. And another thing I think that's important to mention is like, you know, there, there obviously is a natural synchronicity between tiny home, tiny plant. But I also think that like, just because you live in a small space doesn't mean you can't have any plant. Um, I mean, you might not physically be able to fit a, a giant tree in your home, but I think that you can really get creative and just activate different areas of the home if you're committed to, you know, having having greenery in that space. Plants don't have to be just, you know, in that big pot on the floor occupying your your living space. I like that. Ethan and Jesse, thank you both so much for being on this program. I'm I'm fascinated in in what both of you do and um thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Humans Growing Stuff will be right back after a short break. Tiny plants are so useful, and for a small amount of space, they can do a lot of good. But as I've been researching some of the popular tiny plants for this episode, I couldn't help but think of how funny some of them are. The plants themselves are adorable, but also the names are hilarious, like... E.T. fingers? 
Come on. So I decided to give comedian Angela Johnson Reyes a call and get her take on them. Angela is a former cast member on Mad TV and sells out comedy tours across the country. And not only does she make me laugh, she's also an avid gardener. She and I caught up about what got her hooked on gardening, how Instagram's brought her closer to this new community, and what she thinks of some of the more comedic tiny plant names out there. Hey, Angela, are you there? Yes. Hello. Hey, it's so nice to be chatting with you. I am so excited. <laughs> well, I've been watching some of your Facebook videos and, and watching your enthusiasm for the garden, and we thought it would be super fun to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk about this because this is like a whole new world for me that developed. Yeah, I, I love to share with every. I'm like, how is everyone not gardening? Like everyone in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel too. But I'm curious, was gardening something you grew up with? Um, no, actually. Really? All wow. new. I full on, I took Ron Finley's master class uh -huh. and I learned a lot from him. And also my brother got into plants before I did. Uh -huh. And so he's the one who kind of got me into it. So one day he came over right before quarantine, January of 2020, I went with him to the plant district, downtown LA. Mm -hmm. It was like, we walked into this oasis and I was like, what, this is a real place with <laughs> plants and flowers. And so I bought so many plants that day and I started becoming a plant mom. And then it grew from there to a garden and everything. And then what uh, did, did you know immediately what to do because you'd seen these videos or how did you get into gardening from there? Instagram. So I would watch videos on Instagram, on YouTube, um, learning about spider mites, learning about like all kinds of things. And then it became personal. These plants, they're on my balcony, in my bathroom, in my bedroom. I remember the day, my elephant ear plant, I was so proud. It was like my biggest plant that I had ever purchased. And and she's in my, my bedroom. And every morning I wake up and there she is in the corner. And one day I woke up and she was just weeping, like limping over. I didn't know what happened. When I tell you, I jumped out of my bed and rushed to her side. Like it was my child. <laughs> it really became super personal. Like I have a relationship with my plants to the point where when I was moving, I had to find a foster home for my plants because I was like, my husband, he, he doesn't quite get it. And he's like, well, why can't you just get rid of them and get new ones when we get our new place? And I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> How dare you? They can hear you. You walk your mouth, sir. Yeah. So the, they became very personal to me and I learned how to take care of them from videos online. And then I would share what I was learning with my fans online. And then people would message me and, and were so helpful and being like, Hey, I think your plant has, you know, this going on. Maybe you put too much water. And it really became like a community online that we really just kind of supported each other and helped each other. Isn't that amazing how these groups have formed out of interest during these pandemics, right? Like people have actually made friends through Instagram and or, totally. or at least feel like they, they have these connections, which is amazing. Totally. And then all like I get all the funny memes now, like my brother would say <laughs> plant dad memes and gifts and like, you know, everybody's talking about their stimmy checks, like what they're going to spend their stimmy check on. And like all the popular ones are like, you know, a new pair of shoes or whatever. Let's go to Red Lobster. We got that stimmy check. And then all the plant dad ones are like, you know, just got my stimmy check. And then it's a picture of like 4,000 plants in their house. <laughs> 
but I, I am surprised to hear you say that you hadn't done this before because I, I watch these videos and I see like you've got these beautiful beds and, and you know, you've got everything from like Valencia orange tree to like, you know, it's, tomato plants to blueberries. I mean, it's, it's impressive the variety of things you grew. And you know what? I My friend Desi Perkins, she would post her garden a lot and it was very inspiring to me. It, it makes it feel doable. Like, well, if she could do it, I can do it, you know? Yeah. And even though I had no knowledge and then I would message her and be like, hey, so like, how did you learn how to do it? She's like, I just started. I just gave it a go and you learn as you go. And even in Ron Finley and his masterclass too, he teaches that too. Like there is no really like right or wrong. Mm. You just start. And he's like, you can plant anything in an old suitcase, in an old boot. And he pulls out an old boot, puts some soil in it, puts <laughs> a little seedling in it and some water. And he's like, boom, there you go. You have your garden. I feel like it's funny because after I started gardening, when I'd be driving down the street and I would see an empty patch of weed growing grass, like by the freeway, I'd be like, oh, that'd be a good garden. <laughs> you, your eyes start seeing just all the possibilities for it. And um, I hope it just grows and grows. Yeah. I mean, it, it is funny, this like new awareness you have for things, right? I, I feel like even in my apartment, I notice now where the light is and which areas are cooler. And, you know, you're thinking about it from a plant's perspective instead of your own in <laughs> you some think ways. think about it from the plant's perspective. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it's I, so true. <laughs> but I really hope that my kids don't hear that part about the boot because I feel like I'm going to end up with one, like, one sneaker that's functional and right. one that has a plant in it for all my pairs of shoes. <laughs> and even when, let me tell you, when I have to prune I know it's a part of the process, right? I have a hard time almost whenever I have to prune, I come and I thank, I thank my, my girl. I'm like, thank you so much for the life that you've provided. Just like the joy, the oxygen, like everything you're, you've served your purpose. And I thank you so much. Like I'm such a weird plant lady now. Like I <laughs> you Marie Kondo, those stems. <laughs> I have an emotional moment with my stems and I'm like, thank you. And then I like gear myself up to actually cut it. And I thank you for the new life that's going to come from you. Bye. <laughs> so well, one of the things we're talking about is that as people in quarantine have gotten super into gardening and, and been encouraged by Instagram and stuff, they've sort of done the base level of gardening. But slowly people are figuring out what their niches are in terms of like their interests. And so one of the things we've seen is that people are really into tiny plants. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about this, but I saw that you had either on purpose or accidentally grown very tiny potatoes in your garden. <laughs> what <laughs> do tiny God. potatoes taste like? Oh my God. They tasted amazing because I just washed them, put some olive oil, salt and pepper and threw them in the oven. I had like these little, little potato fries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was asking, have you noticed on your Instagram feed or even with your family's interactions that people are starting to play in the tiny plant space? Um, for sure, because it's easy and it's cute. And especially uh, if you've downsized in the quarantine COVID days and you don't have much room, start with the little tiny plants and they're super cute for sure. So I have a list of tiny plants and some are super weird, some are super fun. And I'm curious, just on a gut reaction, do you think these plants are good to have in a home or do you think they have some bad juju? So okay. I'm going to ask you the name and, and you tell me first reactions. Okay. 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 Bugleweed. What? <laughs> I mean, I guess that depends on if it's legal in your state, then <laughs> that would depend. But I would say yes for, for the 
bugleweed or dugleweed, whatever you said. <laughs> uh, superstar creeper. Ooh, superstar creeper. I mean, that's like, you're not just a peeping Tom, but you're like the best of the best peeping Toms. You're a superstar mm-hmm. creeper. That's what that says to me. So I would say no on the superstar creeper. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wasn't sure. Does the superstar elevate it to like a curiosity or is it just so creepy that You're not the worth best it? Of the best creeps. <laughs> mini money wart. Oh, oh, mini money wart. Anything with wart makes me go, ooh. Mm-hmm. So I would say pass on that because you don't want warts all over your money eating. You're going to be like, what did I spend my money on this week? And be like, I don't know. Talk to mini money war over here. He's over here <laughs> making you spend things. I am with you. Uh, this one I think you might like. Tree of a thousand stars. Tree of a thousand stars. Love that. That Yeah, that feels very like universe earthy, like very much like I want to go like meditate next to my tree of a thousand stars. Yeah. It sounds like a gorgeous constellation or something. Mm-hmm. So this is called a baby jade, but it's got some nicknames, E.T. Fingers and Shrek's Plant. <laughs> E.T. Fingers. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's very nubby. Sounds like it looks like a Tootsie Roll, but also with a little glowy bulb at the end. <laughs> I would say yes. Keep that one. How about the energy on this one? A weeping fig. Well, I'm going to say yes on that one because sometimes you just need to let a good cry out. You know what I mean? Mm. And after you let out a good cry, you just feel so much better, like so much release. And maybe the weeping fig will help you and it'll help absorb it. So I say yes. And thank you, weeping fig. (laughs) And one last one, fiend finger. Oh, Oh, a fiend finger. That one sounds a little devious. That one sounds like a rebel. Like she's a little type of way. (laughs) I feel like she's got some sass and I'm going to say yes, because we all need a little sass in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. So (laughs) why do you think people love miniatures so much in your opinion? Because they're cute. Think anytime I love animals, I love dogs. So if I see a doodle, I'm like, oh my God, you're so cute. I want to cuddle you and like spoon you. Mm -hmm. But then if you see a mini doodle, it's just so much cuter. It's like, oh my God, you're a mini version of that. And I feel like it's (laughs) a few plants. Like um, anything mini and tiny is so cute. (laughs) So I I know that you've switched houses, but I loved seeing how your community came out to name your garden. And can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that idea and and then what the process was like? Okay. So I had been talking with my, my followers on, on Instagram and Facebook and everything about a garden and getting into plants and everything. And I'm going to build my garden and I put a whole video together and like, here's my new garden and I need help picking out names. And so everyone was submitting so many cool creative names, things that were like Spanish, touching on my culture, things that were spiritual, touching on that aspect of my life and really just showing like all the different parts of like who I am. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a comedian. So I had a lot of funny names that were submitted. And these were some of my favorite funny names. Armageddon. Uh Uh-huh. Seed You Later Garden. (laughs) Good Vines Only. Bone Thugs and Harvestry. (laughs) Nothing But a Pea Thang. Notorious B.I. Greens. Oh, cute. I'm in love with a Peppa (laughs) and COVID teen gardens. Oh, there was also garden of Eaton. These are, these are great names. Aren't they? But you didn't choose any of them, right? I ended up going with Queens greens Uh because my husband calls me queen, but also I am a queen. And like, I wanted to embrace that. 
And also my friend Penelope uh, was living with me and she was helping me with the garden and she's a queen too. So uh-huh. it became like Queen's Greens. And the other name that I almost picked, but I, I will definitely be using for something else was Reyes of Sunshine because my married last name is Reyes. Yeah, yeah. And I love that name. So I'm definitely going to use that for something. Nobody's still all punch you. <laughs> Angela, thank you so much for being here. It was such a delightful conversation and, and so fun to have you on. And I can't wait to see what the Instagram of your uh, new garden at your next house looks like. Oh, thank you so much. This has really been fun to talk to you about this because I, I have yet to be able to do a podcast talking about just my garden. It's <laughs> very cool. And I had so much fun. Thank you for letting me share. I'm thrilled that you came on. Thank you. When my kid Ruby was four and people used to say they were cute, Ruby's response was always the same. With this gravelly voice, Ruby would correct them and say, I'm not cute. I'm awesome. And every time I hear the word cute now, that's what I think of. This little tornado of a child insisting, I am not cute. I'm awesome. When you're looking up photos of tiny plants and tiny homes, the word cute pops up a lot. But what's funny is that the word cute didn't always mean cute as we know it. According to popular science, the original meaning of cute was actually clever or shrewd. Because cute things take a certain amount of cleverness. As the magazine explains, it's more difficult to make a burrito the size of a thumb than one as big as your forearm. And I kind of like that. Reframing tiny things, tiny plants as clever because they are clever. They've come up with all sorts of ways to thrive in a world that's not exactly built for them. And they have all sorts of strategies for success, including being adorable. According to Mental Floss, we take more care and are more careful with tiny objects of affection. So in a 2009 study, participants that viewed very cute images of puppies and kittens then played the game Operation actually performed better than participants that saw less cute images. Our brains are conditioned to help adorable things survive. But for many of us, there seems to be something else that draws us into caring for tiny plants and tiny homes. And that's the simplicity. I have a funny relationship with minimalism. Back in college, I studied abroad in Nepal and Tibet, and on my trip, I took very few clothes. Maybe two or three t-shirts, a couple of sweatshirts, and two pairs of pants. But after my semester abroad, I remember coming back to the States and... Every morning, I'd wake up and just stare into my closet, perplexed. Why'd I have so many clothes? Why'd I need this many clothes? I'd lived so simply and so happily for months, and now everything felt so daunting. Even looking around my room right now, I see things I don't need. Too many books, clothes, things, and though we keep trying to pare down and live simply, things just seem to accumulate. And I think my romance with tiny homes is just knowing that in a smaller home, you need to simplify. It's funny because part of the reason I started doing Humans Growing Stuff was because I was yearning for simplicity. I wanted to put away the social media and the technology and things that clutter up my mind and just put my hands in dirt and spend time watching things grow. And part of what I keep hearing in this program is that simplicity of plants, that they want to grow. They need just light and soil and water. And for the tiniest plants to live beautifully, to thrive, their needs are really just that simple. I've come to believe that there's a happiness to be found in simplicity. 
This week, I switched jobs to pare down my work and focus on things that feel essential and make me happy. And in that process, I cleared my desk. I organized papers. I got rid of things I didn't need. And in that organizing, I made just enough space for a tiny plant to sit on the corner and serve as a reminder to simplify that I don't need that much. And a reminder to watch this tiny, happy thing thrive because it's not cute. It's awesome. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, no matter what season it is or where you're at in your gardening journey, there are some incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. Join me next time as we explore the many ways humans can learn and grow from plants. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your inspiring plant stories, relatable struggles, or growing questions? Tag us in your post or tweet using the hashtag humansgrowingstuff. And don't be surprised if you hear your story featured on an upcoming episode. Humans Growing Stuff is a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mangesha Tigler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>